What a series we've had here about getting closer to God. It's been provocative. It's been practical. Uh, The messages have been simple. God is always near us, ever with us. But through our actions and our attitudes, we can actually put distance between ourselves and God. Now, most of us would not consciously do that. We would never deliberately take actions that would put space between us and our Savior and let nothing come in between us and him without really understanding what we're doing or how we're doing it, this can happen. Then suddenly we find ourselves far away. That's why in Scripture there is a common refrain, seek the face of God. It's all about our need to repent, to recognize our shortcomings and our sin, to make a U-turn away from them and begin placing ourselves on the path to God's blessing. Because if we have to go someplace else to see God's face, who moved? God never moved. We did. So today I want to talk about something we all share, our mouths, our speech, and our words, which reflect our attitudes, and which, whether we understand it or not, set our destiny. Never miss underestimate, never underestimate words. We tend to do that. In the wonderful play, My Fair Lady, Eliza Doodlittle is being courted by a guy named Freddie, and here's what she sings. Words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all day through, first from him, not from you, now from you. It's all that you blighters can do. And then later she sings, never do I ever want to hear another word. There isn't one I haven't heard. Here we are together in what ought to be a dream. Say one more word and I'll scream. It's a great song. Commonly held belief, but not too complimentary about words. So my task this morning is this. First, I want to explain the incredible power of words. We don't understand it. We hear something we disagree with and we say, it's just words. Or we repeat that awful childhood saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That saying is incredibly false. Words can cause tremendous harm. When I first started into the pastorate, I specialized in pastoral care, counseling. Time after time, I had to counsel people to encourage them And they were trying to get over the hurt and the harm done by words, even decades ago. Words from their childhood. Words that still rang out in their minds. Words that cause wounds that never healed. And then memories that continue to to tear the scabs off the hurt. Believe me, words are powerful. My second point this morning will be the tremendous harm or the tremendous good that words can do. A lot of us don't understand this either. Some of us are by very nature, especially the guys, people of action. There's another saying which I find questionable, and it is this. Actions speak louder than words. Well, that saying is valid, but it's not always true. Because a more valid statement might be, words cause actions. Want to have a good testimony? Are you concerned, as you should be, about the way you represent Christ to others? 
Well, don't forget James 1.26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Third, words reveal. Scripture says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we know it's true, and I'm sure that all of us have had the experience of saying how we really feel and then instantly regretting it. We say, oh, I didn't mean it. Unfortunately, we did mean it. That's why in Washington, D.C., a gaffe is often defined as a politician who accidentally tells the truth. Words that reveal, words that are a window into your soul. If you wanna, do you want to know yourself? Listen to yourself. I think this is the main reason why people don't like to go to psychiatrists and counselors, because those people are professional. They are trained and educated to listen to your words, and then they analyze the words. Because our words are the evidence that they use to make a judgment, and their observations and their conclusions are so accurate, they make us uncomfortable. The Bible says a lot about this. Romans 3.13 is brutal. Listen to this. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. In other words, their mouths are an opening into a tomb. The outside of the tomb looks great. It's been whitewashed and looks terrific. Inside is darkness and death, and that's what comes out. And finally, this morning, what can we do about it? How can we use words to bring us closer to God and closer to each other and avoid using words that separate us? Again, from God and from each other. Now, I've already mentioned a couple of scriptures, but the passage for this morning is James chapter 3, 3 through 12. So let's go there. James chapter 3, 3 through, 3 through 12. Fire up your, your iPhone or tablet or whatever. Open up your scripture. The better Bible students among us are probably already familiar with this passage. It's full of warnings, even condemnations, full of words. Words that warn us about words. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. When I read scriptures like that, makes me wish I was sitting out there listening 
rather than standing up here speaking. I'm reminded of that old saying which many preachers carry with them in their pocket whenever they speak. It is easier to preach ten sermons than to live one. How true, how incredibly true. I wonder if that's why sermon schedules here in Crosspoint are put together like they are. Uh, Have you ever noticed that whenever there's a sermon series, I preach the last one and then the series is over? (laughs) I hope that's a compliment. I really do. Well, let's get started. Let's talk about words. First, their power. The greatest example in Scripture ever of verbal power is the creation. You don't have to turn there, but, but listen to the account of Genesis. Do you realize that everything... Absolutely everything was created with words. Starting with absolutely nothing, God said, let there be light. Then he spoke and created the atmosphere. Third, his word created land and sea life. His fourth word created the sun, the moon, the stars. Then he spoke all of animal life into creation. And on the sixth day, his word created all living creatures including man. So everything we see, think, and experience came from words. God's words, all out of nothing. Imagine that kind of power. Imagine the power of the Bible. The word of God we all love and and study for guidance and inspiration. The Gospel of John tells us that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine that power. Now, believe it or not, you, and I hope I can make you believe this, your words have the same kind of power. Everything, and I mean everything, starts with words. Wars start with words. Because long before weapons are employed, insults become disagreements. Disagreements become violence. And then war, even war, can follow. Good things too. Marriages start with words. Often they're simple. You busy Friday night? Want to go see a movie? Been to that restaurant? And if the relationship grows, words become even more significant. I love you. Will you marry me? And hopefully your next word is yes. And later both say these words. I do. Now, I'm not going to go into sex education this morning, but trust me that human life begins with words. Now, it's best and most common for it to begin with words of love long before anything physically occurs. Words of love are whispered. You often hear the phrase, love child. It's it's almost pejorative. It's almost an insult. But it shouldn't be. Every child should be a love child with its conception initiated by emotions communicated with words. So each of us has to ask, what are my words creating? Because if you're not sure, look at your circumstances. It could very well be that your words created your circumstances, whatever they happen to be. It's not always true, but it's true most of the time. Most of us have what our words have given us. So believe it. Words are powerful. 
Look again at James. Verse 3, a tiny bit in the mouth can turn a powerful horse. Verse 4, little rudder can steer a huge boat, even in a strong wind. Verse 5, single spark from your mouth can set a whole forest on fire. According to the, James, it's kind of tough to take, your tongue is a wild animal. Think about that. By its, never, by its very nature, evil. Do you want a better life? Choose better words. Want fewer problems? Avoid problem-solving words. So next, let's see how words reveal us. Because they do, they, they truly do. When we say something terrible, completely inappropriate, we often try to cover it up. You know what we say? Oh, I didn't mean it. But what we really should say is, I didn't mean to actually say it. That's how I really feel. It was just wrong for me to say it out loud. Or perhaps we say something really dumb. And then we suddenly realize that we haven't got the foggiest idea what we're talking about. Our mouth and our minds are completely disconnected. And we forget Abraham Lincoln's wonderful saying, Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. James tells us about words in verses 9 through 12. Each of us has a mouth. Out of the same mouth come statements which are polar opposites. Blessings and curses. Truth and lies. Compliments and insults. Wisdom and folly. The problem is that while truths and positive statements are godly and pure, negative and sinful statements are like pollution in water. Ruins the good. Which takes me to a sensitive topic, one which we are probably uncomfortable with and don't particularly want to consider. What about swearing? Look at verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So as we consider this, remember what we've already covered here. Words are incredibly powerful. Words reveal the real you like this. God damn you. Think about it. Think about the first word of that curse. God. We are speaking for him. But we actually have no right to do that. But it's actually worse. We are actually setting ourselves up as him, judging someone else. And who are we to do that? To pass judgment on the eternal destiny of another. Who can forgive sins but God only? Who is the only one with the authority pass eternal judgment, God alone. Now, I hope we all know there's no such thing as an unforgivable sin. There is only an unforgivable decision, the choice to not accept the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf and to worship him alone. And for that, and that alone, there is judgment. And for that, and that alone, are the fires of hell. But when we swear at someone, and use that phrase, how often is their acceptance or their rejection of Christ even remotely connected with the situation? 
Never. And then there's damn. Again, do we realize what we're saying? Even if you could do it, would you consign any other human being to the horrors of hell? Would you do that? Eternal pain, despair, and hopelessness forever. Dark, fire, and brimstone eternally. No one, especially a Christian, would ever want to do that. And instead, I'm sure each of you do everything you possibly could to help any single person not only avoid hell, but to enjoy the eternal bliss of heaven. And finally, the word you. That makes it personal. And that's a judgment reserved only for God. But there's something else I'd like you to think about because almost always we are swearing at someone because of what they've done. And since when does conduct determine our eternal destiny? Because really, it doesn't matter. No matter how often the pers- awful the person has acted to you or anybody else, the determining factor is only... Only the person's relationship and commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's it. That's all. So never, ever use that term about anyone or anything. Now, fasten your seatbelts. Believe it or not, I'm going to talk about the F word. This is so distressingly common, even among women. It is so jarring to me. To hear it in public. And if you think it's bad here in Milwaukee, and it's bad here in Milwaukee, you should spend a little time on the East Coast. There it's punctuation. Now, I have a cute story to tell. As some of you know, I recently wrote a book. It's going to be published. I included a story about our youngest daughter who came home from school one day calling everybody names and using the F word. Ha! Now, I'm not too sharp about anything when it comes to sex, but especially when it comes to talking about it. But I got trapped one day. Our little girl came home from school and used the F word in front of her mother. That did it. Off to the bedroom they went. My wife was furious. You can't talk like that. Now, our daughter's defense was all the kids at school are saying it. And mom, I don't even know what it means. What does it mean anyway? Oh, Now, when something like that happens, what makes mothers say, you better talk to your dad? Now, what is it? Desperation? Fright? Revenge? I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, that's what she said. So now I have to explain a sexual obscenity to a first grader. Okay. I thought about it a lot, and I actually came up with a pretty good answer. I said, honey, you know what? Mommy and daddy love each other, don't you? And her eyes were wide. She said, yes, Daddy. Well, moms and dads get together, and sometimes a baby is born, and we love the baby. That's why we love you, and that's why we love your brothers and sisters so much. Now I had her attention. Yes, Daddy. Well, honey, dogs have puppies. Cats have kittens. Rabbits have ant bunnies. Do you think they love each other like we love you? No, Daddy. Well, honey, I said. I gave her a big hug. That word is about what animals do when they don't love each other. They just do it. And that's what it's called. So when you talk about somebody and use that word, you're actually calling them an animal. 
And her eyes filled with tears. Really, Daddy? Really? And she said, Daddy, I'll never call anybody that ever again. And she never did. Did you realize that? Did you know that whenever you use that word as a description or an adjective, you are reducing them or the situation to an animal level? Did Jesus ever do anything like that? And by the way, don't soften it. This is hard for me to say. Saying darn instead of damn or using the word frigging, whatever that means, or I know what it means. The words are softer, but the terrible meaning is still the same. My wife's grandmother didn't even want her to say gosh. That meant God to her. So please, whatever level of discourse you choose or prefer, there are all kinds of ways to say all kinds of things, but don't pollute it with swearing. It can and it will separate you from the kingdom of God. And it will separate you from everybody else that you care about. And finally, since we've talked about what not to do, let's talk about what we should do. And we'll start where everyone else does if they know their Bible. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. Easy to quote, simple to memorize, Hard to do. Diane was at a woman's get-together one time. I think there were five women. One was a guest. And the women were talking a lot. That's what women do. Women talk a lot. But at the end, something really interesting happened. Four of the women turned to the guest, and they all said, you know, we've talked all this time, and we just realized that everything you said, every word has positive how nice. And the guest was shocked. She said, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? How true. How rare. So unusual that it can actually become a distinguishing characteristic. Well, think about it. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to be known for? So right about now, I strongly wish I was sitting out there listening instead of up here speaking. Because I met a man in the mirror recently who really needs to hear this message. I wish I could believe that a glass half full isn't, em- isn't half empty. I wish I could believe it's always full. It's just that half of it is water, half of it is air, but it's always full. Now, with all of us, me included, I think we all need to be less negative. And of that I am positive. So here's another tip. A little basic again, but nonetheless helpful, especially if you have problems with this. And that is this. Pray before you speak. Now, when we were in Rochester, again, I was in pastoral counseling, and I got a phone call one day from a mother. Her son was actually under demonic influence. And this was, this was analyzed, investigated, and verified. Under demonic influence. And she had contacted a professional exorcist to come from out of town to perform an exorcism on her son, but the man would not perform the ceremony unless she could guarantee him that the boy would have professional pastoral counseling. So the mother called a whole bunch of churches and nobody was interested. She finally called us. It was a non-denominational church. And she was thrilled. I said yes. 
called our church or set up an appointment, and I'm going to tell you, the first several sessions were awful. Stocking cap pulled over his head, hand stuffed into his hoodie, looking down, grunting one-word answers. So after a couple of weeks, I mean, we did everything. I tried, we shot baskets with him, took him to the road side cafe for a, a Sunday. His mother thought I was counseling him, and we were eating ice cream together. I couldn't figure out what to do with the kid, and I was just about ready to give up. Then I asked him to try something. I asked him to pray before he said anything. He said he would. Why, he asked. And I said, did you pray before you asked me that? He said, okay, you win. Then he smiled and said, yes. And then he said, by the way, I did pray before I said yes. I said, okay, scoot. Next week, a whole new young man walked into my office. Fresh haircut, nicely dressed, sharp happy. Now, he couldn't see it, but over his shoulder in the hallway, I could see his mother. She was beaming, two thumbs up, giving me the big high sign. His whole life had changed in one week. He became an apprentice mason. Soon he had a car. Not long after that, he had a very good job and a place of his own and a fiance. Just from praying before he talked, Try it. You'll like it. You might be amazed. Everybody else will like it too. And they might be amazed. There's one more thing I want to mention. We've covered that words are powerful, words are revealing, words are creative. Here's one more thing. Words are determinative. And we see this often, like especially in the Old Testament, words of blessings from a father determining the future. For his sons, I don't have to go back nearly that far to give you a real solid example because here's how it works and here's why it works. We often think that emotions occur first and then we speak. And usually this is how it happens. But emotions can also follow words. Another way to look at it is this. Emotions are usually the engine of the train. Words follow, they're the caboose. But the opposite can be true. Words can be the engine. Emotions can follow. And I learned this lesson from counseling. A husband would come in to me and said he didn't love his wife anymore. And since he's a Christian, divorce is out of the question. Well, after I determined that he really did love his wife, maybe not emotionally, I suggested he just tell your wife, I love you. (laughs) Invariably, the guy would say, wouldn't that be hypocritical? How could I say something if I don't mean it? I said, say it. I said, trust me, you'll mean it. And he did say it. And he did very quickly mean it with all his heart. Words can make you actually feel emotionally what you should feel emotionally. Just say it. There are a lot of reasons to tell your spouse, I love you. This is just another one of them. And I like that with other things too. Watch your self-language. Don't demean yourself. Compliment yourself. Tell yourself that you're good enough. You're a good person. You're worthwhile. You're trustworthy. You're hardworking. Whatever you want to be, use words that will steer you in that direction. If that's where you want to go, your own words will help you get there. 
See the challenge? According to James, your, your tongue is a wild animal. You can train it, you'll never tame it. With it, you can do tremendous harm or tremendous good. With it, you can distance yourself from God, or you can put yourself snuggled up in the everlasting arms. Your tongue, powerful, capable of good and evil, revealing, determinative. Train it! Your relationships, starting with your relationship with God, depend on it. Let's pray. Lord, our prayers are words. Our witness is words. Everything significant in this world came about through words. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to be determinative in our words. That we would be determined to present you well. Determined to be good Christians. Determined to be faithful followers. Determined to be good husbands and wives, obedient children, faithful servants. And Lord, I pray that one day we will hear those blessed words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the reward prepared for you. Lord, we pray these things. We say these things in Jesus' name and for his glory only. Amen.